welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Yeah, we do. So let's read it, shall we? Yeah, good talk. All right, let's do it. So I got a... Oh, hey, one last thing before we do that. I totally forgot. Um, hey, there's these yellow Connect cards in the, uh, in the program that you got, the Order of Service. Um, if you're new, we would love to connect with you. And this is a great opportunity uh, for you to just find out a little bit more about what the heck's going on here, because this can be a little bit weird if you're not used to church. I know it was for me when I first started going, and so um, fill out one of these cards, put your name and info on there, and drop it in that offering bag as it comes around. Um, if you're not going to use the offering envelope or the Connect card, just drop it in there. Uh, or, you know, the offering bags look like they're at the back now. Tell you what, if you're not using these, come drop them right here at the end of service, and we can, we can recycle and reuse those, because we love uh, to save and conserve uh, the environment as well. Sweet, so let's jump into the Word. This morning. So here we go. We're in uh, Luke chapter 14 today, and that'll be just up here on the screen if you would like to follow along. Verses 12 to 24. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say uh, to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded me has been done, and there still is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men uh, who were invited shall taste my banquet. Yeah, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the leaders here at Trinity Life. Um, and we're going through this series called Welcome Home Meals with Jesus. We preach on topics like welcome healing, welcome forgiveness, welcome abundance, welcome perspective, welcome expectation. And what this sermon is trying to show us that if we aren't living in healing, how can we point people to the healer? If we aren't living in abundant life, how can we point people to the abundance giver? If you aren't living in forgiveness, how can we point people to the forgiveness giver? 
If we aren't living in a kingdom perspective, how can we point people to a kingdom perspective? And when people look at your life, can they see something different about the way that you live and love people? Or do you act like and talk like and live like the rest of the world? Do you have an unshakable joy and faith that is firmly rooted in the strong foundation of our risen king? Or are you giving off the aroma of death everywhere you go? Are you living a life in such radical love and generosity and forgiveness that people around you are naturally attracted to you? If there's nothing different or attractive about your life, how will people ever see the goodness and glory of Jesus? I mean, any Christian that meets the real Jesus and has a real relationship with him will live radically. Their lives will look different. And one of my responsibilities as a preacher is that when I preach from the Word of God and when I teach out of it, that the Holy Spirit would make fake Christians feel fake so that they can get saved. You're either saved or not saved. You're either a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus. You're either dead in your sins or you're walking a new life. You're either born again or you're not born again. We have too many people who think they're living for Jesus. There's no fruit. There's no desire for prayer. There's no reverence for the word. And there's no real joy. And what this series is trying to show us is that if we are truly followers of Jesus, sharing Jesus with people will be a natural overflow of the abundant love and grace given to us by the Father. And the reason why today's sermon is called Welcome Sacrifice is because, because being a Christian will cost you. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your resources. It will cost you your convenience. It will cost you your comfort. I mean, when Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, carry your cross, he wants full commitment, full allegiance. But you're on death row with no parole, on your way to die to every single idol of earthly comfort and pleasure so that you can live for the glory of God. And in Matthew 28, 28, Jesus says, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. The Christian life is marked around sacrifice, but sadly our culture lives in a self-centered, individualistic society, where it is all about our needs, our happiness. So Jesus in this parable is preparing a great, a great banquet He's inviting, you into many, he's inviting you into that, but many of us will make excuses, and we're holding on to things of the world. You won't want to sacrifice your worldly gain for heavenly gain. And Jesus says in Matthew, what will it profit a person if they gain the whole world, but they lose their souls? What are you holding on to today? If you died today, what would everyone around you remember you for? Would people remember you as that perfect couple who had everything? Would people remember you as a person who worked really hard and was really successful? Would people remember you as a great parent or a great academic or a great preacher? Or would people remember you as someone who lived their life radically sacrificing and serving those around you for the mission and fame and glory of Jesus Christ? So my prayer and hope today is that as I preach from this text, that the living word of God, 
would smash all your worldly dreams and ambitions and give you a fresh new kingdom perspective. So this is our bottom line for today. The gospel is worth sacrificing everything for. Actually, when I was coming up with it, I actually had at the very end, the gospel is worth sacrificing everything for, even your life. But I thought, I've been watching a lot of John Piper recently, so I thought I'd work you guys in more slowly. So I was reading this article the other day, and there was this 38-year-old Christian woman named Karen Watson. She felt God's call to go to Iraq. So she responded by resigning her job, selling her car, selling her house and other possessions. After her arrival, her and three other Christian missionaries were ambushed and gunned down. Watson's family shared her story with the president of the Southern Baptist International Mission Board, Jerry Rankin, at her funeral. Rankin said that Watson's message of sacrifice to a missions conference in New Orleans. He encouraged students, faculty, and staff at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary to consider missions not out of obligation to fulfill the Great Commission, but because they are compelled by the love of Jesus. Rankin said, media and culture... They just don't get it. Why would anyone go to a place that their lives would be at risk? He added, we all have succumbed to a culture and a philosophy where it's all about us. It's all about our comfort. It's all about our security, all about our future in this life. They will never understand that there is something worth giving your life to. That there is a purpose that's worth dying for. But the world doesn't understand that. In addition to her letter, or in addition to her duffel bag, Watson left a letter with her pastor that was to be opened if she didn't make it back alive. And when the letter was opened, Watson made it clear that she had counted the sacrifice of going. In the letter she wrote, when God calls, there are no regrets. In other words, if you cherish Christ, if you value Christ, if you love Christ, having a relationship with him makes everything else look like loss. Would you be willing to give up everything for Jesus for the sake of the gospel? There are people out there that are being persecuted, beheaded, tortured, and killed for the mission of Jesus. While we sit in our comfortable city with our comfortable jobs and our comfortable Sunday service, while thousands are perishing, without hearing the gospel. And Jesus, in the parable of the great banquet, is inviting people to this party, but reject his offer because they don't want to sacrifice comfort and convenience, but rather they want to live on their own terms in the way that they want to live. And he says later that those who reject my invitation, they will not taste the banquet. They will not enter the kingdom of God. And so as we jump into this passage, feel the weightiness of what is at stake here. But also, as I pray that as you leave here, that you don't feel condemned or judged, but you will leave here feeling convicted and challenged to go out into the world and live radically for Jesus Christ. So let me give you some context to what's happening in this passage so far. Uh, At the beginning of chapter 14, Luke tells us that Jesus is at one of the Pharisees' house, and he's with one of the other lawyers, and, and they're watching him carefully. And to watch carefully meant that they were trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to break one of the laws so that they can have him arrested or killed. 
The Pharisees saw this new religious leader that had a huge Instagram following, thousands of Facebook likes, hundreds of retweets and shares about all the amazing miracles he was performing. He was an overnight YouTube sensation. His videos were going viral. Jesus was featured on CNN, New York Times, Fox News, and this made the religious leaders jealous. And every time they try to trap him, Jesus comes back, comes back and says, let me tell you a story. And every time Jesus tells a story, it's supposed to reveal something about our hearts. Jesus isn't interested in band-aid solutions. He doesn't say, here's five rules to a happier life. He doesn't pat you on the shoulder and say, there, there. He doesn't recommend a book called Chicken Noodle for the Soul, Chicken Noodle Soup for the Soul. But rather, he goes straight for the heart and hopes for a permanent solution. So he starts to share this story about a banquet. He said also to the man who has invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Jesus says the only reason why the Pharisees were inviting people to their dinners was because they were getting something in return. He isn't saying that you shouldn't invite your friends, you shouldn't invite your families, you shouldn't invite rich people, because that's not the issue. But it's why you invited them. It's something going deeper in the heart. They weren't being hospitable to serve and sacrifice for other people, but they were doing it so that they could get something in return. Their motives were self-serving and selfish. Now, how many of you in this room have ever done something nice for somebody? Maybe you gave somebody money, you took them out for lunch or dinner, you bought them something nice, and they were praising you for it, and they were thanking you for it, and you over-spiritualize and you say, oh, all God's grace, all him, all his mercy, but inside you're really saying, yeah, it was all me. We live in a culture of being takers, where it's all about our needs, our happiness, our agenda. We live in a very self-centered world, but as followers of Jesus, we are called to live of self, we are called to live lives of selflessness and sacrifice. And that's what it means to carry your cross daily. A few weeks ago, some of our youth, uh, we went to a Raptors game, and we collaborated with this Christian youth uh, organization called Youth on a Court. Uh, they get discounted Raptors tickets for everybody. And the whole purpose of this event was to encourage our youth to bring non-Christians out. So we had about 10 youth and six or seven non-Christian. Not only did we get discounted tickets, but when the game was over and everybody left the court, we were all invited down, leaders, youth, non-Christian youth, to hear a testimony from one of the Raptors. And it was Jeremy Lin. And actually, when I found out that he got traded to the Raptors, I messaged him on Facebook, and I was like, hey, if you ever want to come to Trinity Life, you're more than welcome, and, and he never replied. And, and now he's dead, dead to me. <laughs> now his, uh, his testimony was, it was amazing. It was really good. A part of their testimony, we had this random draw. So each of our youth, um, we got to choose six of them to be able to go to the court. They got to play 1v1. They got to participate in a three-point contest and a layup competition. And one of our youth who got chosen, um, her name was Kareen, and this might be like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for her to go out onto an NBA court and play basketball. 
And she loves basketball, and she plays competitively. And without hesitation, she tells one of her best friends, Caroline, that she wants to sacrifice her spot so that, that she can play. Caroline says, but I don't have basketball shoes. So Corrine unlaces her basketball shoes, her Jordans, and she gives them to Caroline. And Caroline goes up and she scores on the one-on-one. -on -one. And why do we like stories about this? Like, why do these stories about sacrifice touch our hearts? It's because we know that we should be living like this. We know that we should be putting other people before us. We should, as Apostle Paul says in Galatians, outdoing one another and showing honor. This means that we should be actively looking for opportunities to serve and love people. What a high standard in calling this is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What an honor. What a joy. I mean, selfish people say, serve me. Sacrificial people say, how can I serve you? Selfish people say, what can I get out of this? Sacrificial people say, I already have everything in Jesus. Selfish people do things in order to get love. But sacrificial people do things in order to give love. And so Jesus says to live serving people for the sake. Uh, so Jesus says live to serve people for the, sake of serving, uh, for the sake of serving them instead of expecting things in return. And then he says in verse 13, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. Why the poor, why the crippled, why the lame? He says, because they can't repay you. We know that our hearts as pure as possible when we, serve the, when we serve and we know we won't benefit from it. We know that we won't be blessed. We know that we won't get anything in return. But God gets the glory. So Jesus is saying that it's easy to serve people when you know you're going to benefit from it. But it's much harder and much more Christ-like to serve people when you know that you won't. And so it's easy to limit our guest list to those where it's easy, it's comfortable, it's convenient. But what Jesus is challenging you today is to a higher standard. To reach out to people where it might be difficult, where you might not get anything in return. But you're doing it for the glory of God and God alone. But you might say, well, my coworker is annoying. My boss frustrates me. My neighbors and I have nothing in common. And those things might be true. But we don't serve people because it's easy or it's comfortable or it's convenient. We serve people because Jesus did this for us. Jesus, with every right, could have saved his trip to earth because none of us deserved his love and sacrifice. We were the annoying. We were the offensive. We were the rebellious. But Jesus comes into this world to show us a new type of living that would radically transform the world. And when we look at how far Jesus has come to die for us, that should compel us to go and invite the poor, invite the crippled and the lame into our lives. Not that so we can get something in return, but out of gratitude and thankfulness for what our Savior has done for us. The poor are in your schools. The crippled are in your workplaces. The lame are those in your neighborhood and are your family and friends. Now, people will never taste and see Jesus tangibly if you aren't living like Jesus. Anyone who has experienced the grace and love of Jesus will naturally extend that to those around them. 
And whenever you serve people, it will cost you your time, your energy, and your resources. In other, in other words, your lives as Christians should be marked by sacrifice because of how much you've been sacrificed for. Jesus gave up his life for us. So you should be able to give up your time, your money, and your energy for those around you. So God says, bless and sacrifice for those around you for the sake of doing it for his glory without anything in return. And although we might not get an earthly blessing, out of his goodness and out of his grace, he says, I'm still going to bless you with a heavenly blessing. And verse 14b says, For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And I, like, I struggled with this. Like, I didn't understand what it meant. Out of the whole passage, this was probably the hardest. And then it like hit me one day. It actually just says it plainly and simply. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And what the resurrection of the just is, everyone who lived righteously, sacrificially and justly for the glory of God will be rewarded with a new resurrected body. In the new heavens, in the new earth, we will have new bodies where we will eat and we will play, and we will be with Jesus. And some of you have sacrificed over and over again. Some of you have sacrificed reputation for Jesus. Some of you have sacrificed popularity for Jesus. Some of you have sacrificed an easy life for Jesus. And I know there are times in the midst of all of it, you might be thinking, like, is this really worth it? Like, why is this so hard? This looks foolish to the world. Why am I putting myself through all of this? Like, look what it's costing me. But Jesus wants to remind and encourage you to stop looking at your situation from, a heavenly, from an earthly perspective and start looking at it from a heavenly perspective. Apostle Paul says that we are seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. And when we do this, we sacrifice, when we do this, we sacrifice and we serve with joy with confidence, with boldness. Because this time on earth is, is a blink of an eye compared to an eternity. And one day in our resurrected bodies, you will hear from Jesus himself, well done, good and faithful servant. And in your new resurrected bodies, you will be blameless, perfect, without sin, without worry, without fear, without depression, without sadness, without anxiety, cancer, gone, hardships, gone, suffering, gone, addiction, gone. Death will have no hold on you because Christ on the cross and in his resurrection has conquered the grave and in his majesty and glory, you will one day be in the everlasting arms of our risen, alive, everlasting, ever-present, an ever-faithful King Jesus. Karen Watson, who I talked about earlier in, our, in, in my illustration, who went on missions for Jesus, the poor, the lame, the crippled, for her were in Iraq. And she counted the sacrifice that it would cost her to go, but she said it was worth it. This was another part of her letter. I wasn't called to a place I was called to him. To obey was my objective, and to suffer was expected. His glory is my reward. Everything in this world is counted as loss compared to the endless riches found only in him. 
So I want to encourage you guys to sacrifice much, sacrifice often, and sacrifice for the fame of Jesus because our reward is not an earthly one, but a heavenly one. So Jesus is trying to teach and encourage and prune out the hard things that are in our hearts. And so he's talking to the lawyers and Pharisees and this random dude interrupts him by, and he shouts out in verse 15, blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. It's kind of funny because Jesus is being serious and he's addressing people's hearts and he's talking about the kingdom, he's talking about hell. And this person sort of, I get the picture of him like leaning up and putting his feet up and going like this and obnoxiously saying, like, everybody will be in the kingdom of God. But then Jesus says, well, not, not quite. Let me tell you a story, my friend. Then he says in verse 16, a man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, come for everything is now ready. During ancient times, they didn't have text messages, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have email. So the best way for the master to invite people to the banquet was to send out two invitations. The first invitation was weeks and months ahead to say that you've been invited. And then when the food and everything else was ready, the second invitation was made the day of, hours before. And the church is often committed in error in thinking that the kingdom of God is for the morally good or for the religiously inclined, or for those who have it all together. And we think things like, well, that person would never be interested in the gospel. That person seems happy without Jesus. That person's way too messed up to be redeemed. And this robs God of the glorious and broad invitation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We often see things from an earthly, limited perspective, when God wants us to see things from a heavenly perspective, where we have a Father in heaven who is preparing a party for all of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It doesn't say if you get your act together. It doesn't say you need to start living a certain way, God will accept you. But the good news of the Bible is that God, out of his grace, offers you this free gift. And all you have to do is trust in Jesus who died for your sins. And you will get to taste the banquet feast that is being prepared for you. The gospel isn't that you sacrifice for God and then he accepts and loves you. But rather he accepts and loves you as a gift through Jesus Christ. Therefore you sacrifice for him. The Bible isn't a list of do's and don'ts. How can you work your way to salvation? But the Bible is about Jesus working his way to us in what's already been done. That's the good news of the gospel. There are people sitting in this room that believe that God can't love you. And you believe that you're so messed up, so far out of reach of God's forgiveness. I mean, you've been living in shame, You've been living in guilt and in burden. But this isn't from God. That's bad news. But the gospel, of, the gospel is good news. And someone needs to hear this today. That you are loved. You are redeemed. You are precious. You are valued. You are treasured. 
You're being pursued today by the everlasting love of our risen Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And so guilt, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Shame, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Lies, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And by the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, I anoint peace, healing, and reconciliation over your life today. So receive this free gift today. Just look at the cross for a second. Jesus Christ leaves his throne in heaven to be born in a feed trough. And when he most needed, he's abandoned by all his friends and family who he loved dearly. He's unjustly taken in the middle of the night by religious leaders where he's mocked, beaten, and spat on. He had his flesh ripped from his body by whipping. He had a crown of thorns smashed and twisted on his head. He was stripped naked. While he was dying, carried a heavy cross to this place where he'd be nailed to it. Where he'd be treated like a criminal and mocked publicly. And in his final breath says, anyone who puts their trust in me as Lord and Savior will taste the eternal banquet feast I have prepared for them in heaven. The banquet feast is not for good people, but it's for forgiven people. So come now because the banquet is ready. So we see that the Bible says that the gospel invitation is broad, and for many, but many people will reject it. Verse 18 says, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see to it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And to reject someone's banquet during the ancient time was to reject the person. In other words, anyone who was invited to a banquet was invited to a relationship, and to reject the invitation was to reject the invitation giver. And so the point that is Jesus is trying to make to everyone is that he has invited everybody here, but not everybody will accept it because they chose career or success or achievement or materialism or status or family or romance. I mean, we live on a rock that's spinning a thousand miles an hour. In a billion years from now, the sun will burn out, everything will cease to exist, and we think a master's degree, a nice paying salary, a retirement fund, a nice little marriage will bring security. What are you holding on today that is hindering you from truly following Jesus? The Bible says that the center of everyone, the center of every single person's heart is an idol. And an idol is anything that takes the place of God where only he should rule and reign. In the deepest part of your heart, you are saying, this gives me real worth. This gives me real meaning. This gives me true happiness. Timothy Keller says this, the human heart is an idle factory that takes good things like success, career, love, material, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. And our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us the significance and security and safety and fulfillment if we obtain them. Love is a good thing. 
Relationships are a good thing. Career is a good thing. A master's degree is a good thing. But when you make them God things, that is when your souls will start to shrivel. No romantic relationship, no amount of materialism or career or any amount of success or achievement will ever fulfill the longings of your heart. It will never be enough. Your heart will always be looking for more. And some of you guys already know that. And your hearts will be restless until they rest in the one true, perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. A lot of you guys know um, that when I was in grade 9, I got recruited into a gang. If you're new, now you do. Uh, I grew up selling drugs, guns, and, and everything else I could sell to make quick money. And during that time, I tried to build my identity around being a successful entrepreneurial drug dealer and having a lavish lifestyle. Man, I had a nice BMW. I bought in cash a $7,000 watch. I wore expensive clothing like Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Prada. I was partying every single week in the VIP booth. I was spending thousands of dollars every single week. I had money saved up. I was ready to buy my own place. And in the deepest part of my heart, I thought that if I had these things, I would be happy. And one day I woke up and I realized that I was more empty than ever. I gave into this lie that if I just had materialism, if I just had money, if I just had nice things, that I would be fulfilled. But I realized that all this stuff that I was living for would never bring me real joy. But the gospel did. And seven or eight years ago, I got radically saved. And I gave up this easy and comfortable life to live on mission for Jesus and to make his name known. And I don't have a single regret. I would do it over and over and over and over again. What are you not willing to sacrifice for Jesus today? Either you're building your identity on the solid foundation of Jesus, or you're building it on something else. If this is you today, bring this to the Lord and trust that Jesus is worth giving up everything for. I mean, just look at the cross. Every other idol will ask you to die and sacrifice for it. But Jesus is the only person who came and died and sacrificed himself for you. Then verse 21 says, so the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master, uh, the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. As followers of Jesus, you are called to share your faith, make disciples, and live on mission for Jesus wherever you go. God is giving you a mandate. He's giving you a calling. And he's giving you a mission to reach those lost around you. When Jesus says go in this verse, he doesn't say, wait until you have enough Bible knowledge. He doesn't say, wait until you get a seminary degree first. He doesn't say, well, you need to reach a certain level of Christianity. He just says, go. So Jesus says, go, but he also says, go quickly. Because the sad reality is that people are perishing every single day, physically and spiritually. There are people all around us that are living in a physical hell, but they're on their way to a spiritual one. And guys, we think sharing Jesus is complicated. We convince our minds that the soil is hard. But we forget 
the power of the gospel and the one who has empowered and commissioned us, we get so scared and intimidated. And we operate from this place of human thinking and human resources. But when God calls us, he will most certainly empower and equip us. Joshua 1.9 says, Do not be afraid and discouraged, but be strong and courageous. Why? Because our living and powerful and faithful God is with you. When we look at scripture, God always uses ordinary and messed up people to bring the gospel to people. Moses has a speech impediment and was insecure, and he's called to redeem the Israelites. Apostle Paul was a murderer and prideful, and he became one of the greatest missionaries in the world. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, was, was called to be a leader. Lydia, whose identity was in, was in being a successful businesswoman at King and Bloor and her, had her house at Bridal Path, is called to live for the glory of God. Why does God always use broken and ordinary people? So that when people get saved, God would get the credit and God would get the glory. We are just conduits for the Lord. And it's only by the Spirit of God that you can bring someone from death to life. And so be full of faith. Be faithful. That the one who is sending you into your schools, the one sending you into your workplaces, the one sending you to your families, the one sending you to your friends is going to empower you. Don't worry about the results or what people will say or if people reject the offer. Because at the end of time, Jesus won't say, well, good, well done, good and fruitful servant. But he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I love this next verse. In verse 22, it says, And the servant said, Sir, what I have commanded I have done. Is there still any room? The master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. But see the heart of the father here. He doesn't just want some people invited to his banquet. He wants as many people as he can to get into the kingdom. He wants every single seat that he has prepared filled. He understands how many people are living in darkness. He understands how many people are enslaved to sin. He knows how many people are suffering. And he wants to give them peace. He wants to give them rest in a way that this world cannot. And Jesus uses the word compel. And this is supposed to encourage us to be persistent in sharing our faith with people. And to persuade those around us by the way that you live, the way that you love, and the way that you live and the way that you love them. When people look at your Instagram, what will they see? When people visit your Facebook page, what are you liking and what are you sharing? If someone were to look at your Netflix history, what would they see that you've watched? If people scroll through your music playlist, what would they find? Is your whole life an example of holiness and a reflection of the things that are good and God-honoring? Or are you caught up in trying to be like the rest of the world? And the reason why the church has so little influence on the world is because the world has so much influence in the church. And so when the lame and the crippled and the poor at our church look at us, and they don't see anything different, I say, why would I want that? I'm happy over here. Every single one of you either hearing, trusting, and obeying God, or you're hearing, trusting, and obeying the culture. You're either being discipled by Jesus, 
or you're being discipled by the world. Every time you listen to a song, every time you watch a movie, every time you read a book, every time you fill your mind and heart with the culture, a lot of the time it is teaching you an anti-gospel. And when you show the world that you are satisfied and okay with worldly comfort and a worldly way of living, and you make the cross of Jesus Christ look dull and unattractive, when you take the brain that God has given you, you take the resources that God has given you, and you take the mission field that God has given you, and you live for the rest of the world instead of for his glory, you actually hinder the kingdom of God. Sharing Jesus with the world through word and deed is not just something we sort of sprinkle on at the back, back end of our faith, but it is a driving force in the why we live and is a mandate that God calls every Christian to be a part of. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So not, let's not leave these doors complacent or comfortable, but let's be a church that wins souls over for the fame and glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, one of our, or our family owns a cleaning business, and uh, I work there uh, twice in the evening time where we clean, we mop, and, and we dust, and we do other janitorial duties. And for the past three years, this non-Christian uh, young black girl has been working with us. And since we worked at two locations, I always drive us and the other workers to uh, the first location and the second location. And, and so I, I wanted to share Jesus with her. So I was praying for her soul, praying for God to open up an opportunity, and a few days, or not a few days, but a few weeks later, we're sitting in the car and we're talking, and she's just talking about life. She's just going through stuff, and I'm just listening. And uh, a few moments later, she's like, out of nowhere, and I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm not bringing up spiritual stuff. She says, I can't sleep at nighttime. Like, I'm so stressed and I'm so filled with anxiety and fear because I don't know where I'm going to go when I die. And inside, I'm like dancing, right? Well, not because she can't sleep, because I know exactly what the Holy Spirit is about to do. And so I get to share my testimony with her. I get to share Jesus with her. She gets to hear the gospel for the first time. And so for the, for the, and for the next couple of months, I get to disciple her through our small car rides to work. I get her plugged into a local church. And then a year later, she gets baptized she received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And all I did was pray for her soul and was intentional about sharing Jesus. And God honored my faithfulness. And if you do this, God will honor your faithfulness. And some of you guys have experienced this. So Jesus gives us this mandate to go out, but to go out quickly. Because he says, those who reject my offer will not taste my banquet. And the parts where Jesus says, where the master is angry, or you're not invited to my banquet, he's not doing this out of a resentful, bitter angerness. He's doing this out of heartbreak. He loves people. He loves sinners. And he wants them to be in his banquet. Many people are perishing every day. They're headed for hell. Without ever hearing the good news of the gospel. And God is trying to press onto us and every single person here a sense of urgency. 
And last verse he says, For I tell you, no one or none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. I mean, Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And when we think of how most people get bent out of shape, they always get upset and they ask, if God is so loving, why does he send people to hell? They think that it's mean and it's unfair. And the presupposition behind those thoughts are that everyone is basically good and that no one really deserves to go to hell. But the Bible teaches that everyone is bad and no one really deserves to go to heaven. And the question shouldn't be, why would a good God send people to hell? The question should be, why would a good God let sinful people into heaven? And the Bible says that we are sinful, we are broken, we are rebellious. No one is righteous, no, not one. We all deserve death and condemnation. But God, out of his rich mercy and grace, sends his son Jesus to die for us in our place so that all of those who believe will have a seat in the banquet. And people who don't go to heaven are those who don't want it. And they don't want the word. They don't want prayer. They don't want to submit and sacrifice for each other. They only want to live for themselves. And that is what hell will be like. And it's the loneliest place in the world. So it is our duty and our urgency to compel those around us that there is a loving Father in heaven who is saying, come now, for the banquet is ready. And so how will we, how will we be a church or as a church, how will we do this? How will we get our hearts in a place with such radical sacrifice that the lame, crippled, and poor will flood into our churches? We need to look at Jesus. Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fa- fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why did Jesus have to do this? He did this out of love. He saw that we were the lost. We were on their way to hell. We were the lame. We were the crippled. We were the poor. We were the outcast. And Jesus, at the cost of his life, came and rescued us. He didn't just go out to the city gates. He had to leave heaven to get to us. He didn't just have to face rejection, but he had to face death. And when we look at how much God sacrificed for us, this should compel us to live lives radically, faithfully, and sacrificially for his glory and his fame. Let's pray. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that you loved us so much that even though we didn't deserve it, even in all of our brokenness, even though You knew that we would continue to break your heart. And when we got your grace, we would continue to take it for granted. You still said, I want these people to be a part of my banquet. I want them to experience rest and peace and joy. So much so that I would be willing to sacrifice my one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So God, thank you that your word is the good news of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name.
If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.